0: detective. She'll rap. Sergeant <laughs> Detective. Context safety command. What's up? C- context safety command. Delay that order. Context safety command. This is the captain. Context safety command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons.
1: The Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star
2: Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Give me a moment here, Ben. Uh my watch told me I need to breathe.
1: does your watch just do that like every three
2: minutes in your case (laughs) i have no idea how it determines when to tell me that do you know i don't i
1: i like the little breathing exercise i do too this is the this is an apple watch feature that shows up uh sometimes that says hey like, why not? Like, stop for a minute or two and just uh, and just center yourself with a little breathing exercise. I would say that eight times out of ten, if I take my watch up on its offer, I will be sitting on the couch doing my breathing exercise, and my wife will come in and be like, "What's wrong? What? What's going on?" <laughs> it, it always. Causes great concern, and then I answer her. Oh, I'm doing my breathing exercise, and my watch goes. Sorry, something interrupted your breathing exercise. It doesn't count.
2: <laughs> oh, that's such a bummer. I yeah. love that your wife is is concerned about your calm. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, it is like really consistently
1: that, and I've I've taken to I usually read read a book on my phone before uh, going to sleep at night, but I've recently taken. To doing the New York Times crossword puzzle and Mm. then reading a book before going to sleep at night. And apparently puzzle face is a very concerning look for my wife. Every time I'm in bed working on the puzzle, she'll come into the room and and be like, is everything okay? What's going on? Like, I I think she imagines I'm like looking at the news or something and
2: your rest is very intense. (laughs) And I know how hypocritical I sound in describing it that way. Yeah, it's hard to defend the space of recovery. Like I know you've told me stories of like your wife tells you to just fucking yeah go go for a walk but if you come back from a walk during shavasana I'll fucking murder you, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I get that like that 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 half an hour. What, yeah. Whether it's breathing or yoga or whatever like you really need it to yourself and you don't need the judgment of the faces that you make during I'm asking for two minutes 14 <laughs> breaths is, is all I'm asking for and it's reliably interrupted. Yeah Yeah You're better off. Just uh just doing it in the shower Ben <laughs> <laughs> It's the place of ultimate privacy. That's the sanctuary.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Uh, <laughs> that's also the title of the episode of uh, today's episode of Greatest Discovery.
2: We could get right into it if you want. You, you didn't think we could tie it in, but we did it.
0: Even did though it, it sucked.
2: It sucked a little bit, but it worked. Let's, let's get this one into the can. It's Star Trek Discovery Season 3 Episode 8. Eight already. (laughs) It's called The Sanctuary. A title that I don't believe relates to anything in this episode. Did you notice that the episode description for this week was actually the
1: episode description for the Will Wheaton hosted after show?
2: (laughs) The the description for the sanctuary is, thank you so much for watching Star Trek Discovery. This week, host Will Wheaton is joined by new stars Blue Del Barrio and Ian
1: Alexander.
2: Hey, nerds. (laughs) (laughs) LLAP,
1: thank you for listening.
0: The Bridge Crew.
1: People are going to really start to
2: hate us.
1: (laughs) We keep making fun of that.
2: I think people understand just how envious we are of that energy level. (laughs) I'll have what Will Wheaton's having.
1: I know. Uh, This episode opens with Mug getting the business from Dr. Culber. This sounds like uh, the scene that you described Mm -hmm. at the end of last week's episode. Uh, I liked how they're having this conversation about her mental health and she walks behind him and picks up a paperweight and clearly thinks about braining him. <laughs> what if What if we saw Culber brutally killed for a second time in three seasons?
2: Cut to credits. <laughs> hey guys! Wild episode of Star Trek Discovery! <laughs> <laughs> We've got Wilson Cruz, a former cast member from
1: (laughs) Star Trek Discovery, to talk about
2: it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's a real threatening paperweight there. You don't need a paperweight in the 30th century, though. Yeah, there's no paper. I thought about that. What what do they have that thing there for? I don't know. It's just
1: asking for trouble. (laughs) It looks like that that Palantir from Lord of the Rings. Like, Mm. uh, you pick that thing up and accidentally the flaming eye is looking right into your soul.
2: Georgiou is mirror universe defensive about anything medical. And time works in an interesting way in this episode. We cut to her defenses against Culber into what has clearly become an acceptance of further study because we cut to a scene in the next moment where suddenly Michael Burnham is there and Culber has off screen been trained on using this new medical technology.
1: Yeah, I wonder how long they have been in the future at this point. Like a
2: month? If I'm Georgegio, don't I want to be scanned on the Starbase or whatever? <laughs> like Culber's had his hands on this tech for what can't be longer than a week. I thought
1: a lot in this episode about how quickly this crew is up to speed on the ways of the future. Like if you went back and like got the crew of a Spanish galleon from the year 1020 AD (laughs) and put them on like a modern destroyer in the U.S. Navy and gave him like a crash course in six weeks, like, here's how you do this. Do you think they could do it?
2: Ben, I'll do you one better. Uh, Both of our parents have been alive for decades. (laughs) (laughs) Impossible to say how many. Can we be sure that they know how to use the internet and email? They have not traveled (laughs) through time to this point. (laughs) They've known about it. They're in all their lives since it's been invented. And I couldn't be sure of that. My
1: uh, my father-in-law attempting to get the Zoom call going for socially distanced Thanksgiving. It was like a one-hour Zoom call where at least 25 minutes was him on the Zoom, also with my wife on the phone with him attempting <laughs> to to get it set up at one point my 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 mother-in-law put on facetime and oh my god showed my wife the screen that
2: they were looking at on his computer from their perspective that should be what's going on here like someone at federation hq is facetiming with culber and culber's looking at his device and he's like it keeps flashing 12 and i keep hitting the button and nothing's happening programmable matter no don't don't use the regular matter. Use the programmable matter. Should- Giorgio's like, should I come back later? <laughs> yeah,
1: he he gets out his legal pad where he's written down step by step instructions for himself.
2: There's the real paper. That's why you need the paperweights. <laughs> this uh, the hostility that Giorgio has in basically every scene having to do with uh, with medicine. Reminds or me any other thing <laughs> or any other thing. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Locutus being examined by Crusher. Oh, like the way she kind of like stares around the room at things and, and makes her judgments and makes her threats against the doctor. Yeah. That, that felt like a real callback to me. I like
1: that. I like that call. Um, Michael Burnham detects that she is not entirely welcome in the exam room. It's like when you're 16 and you go to your pediatrician and he has to do the testicular exam and your mom leaves the room. So my mom uh, never
2: left the room, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) That explains a lot.
0: Congratulations. Your mother must be very proud.
2: (laughs) I wanted her to leave the room. God, I wanted that.
0: <laughs> I
2: mean, I looked at my, for some reason, female pediatrician's eyes and I said, can't you do something about the mom in the room? Could you persuade her? Possibly. <laughs> no? Okay.
1: All right. Book needs to head home to his home planet of Quajon. Uh, this is a a call to adventure that... Inevitably gets all the way up to Admiral Touch of Grey.
2: Uh, Quajon in this episode is going to be played by Liam Neeson. What is that a reference to? qui <laughs> from Star Wars. <laughs>
1: I I went down a, such a road of trying to think if I could come up with a runner uh, using viral rap star Krayshon. That uh, that I just could not compute the, the Qui-Gon bit.
2: You would kick that comedy hacky sack at me, and I would just let it fall to my feet. I, I couldn't possibly keep that in the air with you. So I'm, I'm glad. Okay. I mean, it would have been neat for me to admire, but I could not have yeah. joined in.
1: Yeah, I I watched several Crejon videos on YouTube uh, and I enjoyed them, so. Yeah. I don't know if she's still, I don't know if she's still active. Maybe you could reach out,
2: do a wellness check.
1: Yeah. So, uh, the deal with this planet is that the burn, when it happened, didn't just fuck up starships, it also damaged subspace and the, uh, one of the things that meant for his planet was that their moon changed orbit and these things called sea locusts came out of the oceans and started fucking up all the crops on it on on his planet and uh i got the sense that his planet is a pre-warp civilization like the the um when they talk to the admiral he starts talking about how osira has used like her power to kind of make vassal states of all these pre warp civilizations he's clearly really burned up about it because he hates prior uh prime directive violations and the emerald chain doesn't give any fucks about them Mm -hmm. so so hence the like like no no replicators uh on books home planet i guess
2: i mean all of this is suggested in dialogue been, but when we finally get there it looks like leaf peeping season in vermont like nothing about <laughs> what we see on Jean visually suggests the kind of blight that we're being told about right yeah well he talks about their harvest and it seems like their harvest
1: has something to do with the trees yeah so i don't uh, it, like
2: that is not elucidated super well we cut to a rush song that actually tells that story and it's like Uh it's very long even for by rush song standards (laughs) I think Rob's might know what I mean okay Uh, I sure don't (laughs) I think it's weird that book asks Michael Burnham for permission to go do this thing to go check in on the brother and Michael's like look Quajon is very far away Uh, it's unlikely we'll be able to get that kind of permission or if we don't like your ability to get there without warp drive is going to take two weeks or something.
1: Right. So she doesn't, she doesn't want him taking a work trip that lasts that long. So she suggests they take the entire discovery and this is a, a rare scene where she suggests a mission that Saru and the Admiral Like, are both pretty quick to agree is a mission worth doing. Like, the Admiral's like worried about risking the disco for this, but like, Saru (laughs) gives him, gives him like a mental framework for why they should do it, and they just go do it.
2: Saru's like, look, Admiral, stock photo of early onset gray hair. (laughs) We, (laughs) we need to make a Star Trek Discovery episode here. And this sounds like the makings of, a nice tight episode with a, a single planetary mission that we can go fix. <laughs> what do you say? And, and the Admiral's like, we got an episode here. Go get it. All right, it. people. Just make sure you get enough coverage.
1: We get a, a little interlude back on the, uh, the Rust Belt planet where, uh, where Rin and Book were enslaved with Talor talking to Osira. We meet Osira finally here.
2: Yeah, the wicked witch of the Emerald Chain. Mm-hmm. Those
1: nails, man. Those are those are scary.
2: Yeah, they are they like Jackie Joyner cursy nails. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell that she's of the ruling class and not of the labor class with nails that long. I feel like you really have to live
1: in a programmable matter world with nails like that because like typing is much easier when the keys are floating up to touch your fingers.
2: Right, Osira does not seem particularly nice to her nephew here. Her nephew is really in a state of groveling. Yeah,
1: he doesn't really understand why he's in as much trouble as he is. And uh, she reveals that it is because he let Rin get away. Rin was the was the real prize, and and she kills Talor over this. Like she
2: Talor asks for a pardon and actually like attempts to bribe Osira in order to get it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and like as fucked up as the justice department is, the justice department even opens a investigation into
2: this right it's that corrupt where is this transform it's on osiris ship is that what you gathered i think she's got a rancor pit on her ship you know what i liked about this scene is the detail of the wet prison bars that talora uh goes up to and then grasps because because Toloro kind of turns to camera and cameras on the other side of the prison bars as he's talking to Osira, when yeah. the transform comes out from behind and goo. to make sure your prison bars are sparkling clean. I like to <laughs> rent a pressure washer <laughs> for my local home center.
1: <laughs> you think that they built built this set with a little give in it so that they could shake it so that the goo dripping off those bars would like actually shake it and and jostle loose
2: do you think we're at the point of digital goo i wasn't so sure it wasn't uh, i'm not, i'm not even sure the bars were actually there i think those bars are there they're yeah. the digital goo real bars for my real friends <laughs> Digital bars. bars for my <laughs> fake friends yeah. do you think
1: that uh like they let the transform in when they're gonna kill a talor but this This room is used for multiple
2: purposes,
1: like coming, so <laughs>
2: <laughs> I get the sense that this transworm is especially hungry or maybe even not a great transworm because I don't get the sense that uh Talora is entranced at the time of his death. I believe the suffering is great, and Osira lied to him,
1: yeah maybe the uh maybe the tranceness of these worms has been oversold a little bit, which kind of. Kind of flies in the face of them being a scary threat, right? Like, yeah, Sarlacc is going to digest you in exquisite pain over a thousand years.
2: Right. The transworm, it's painless. You won't feel a thing. Yeah, that's what they say. But everyone who says that hasn't been entranced by a transworm and then eaten. That's true.
1: Who got spit out? Was That that was Michael Burnham has been in, in oh, yeah. a transworm, right?
2: Yeah, she's been in it. All up in it. <laughs> Up in them guts. Yeah. What do we have in the meantime? So after the theme, we get an exposition walk with Tilly and Saru. Tilly having been a newly minted XO in the previous episode.
1: XO as executive assistant. That's really it, isn't it? We never saw Riker doing this kind of work with Picard. Presumably they did it occasionally, right? Like he's... Sometimes, like, working on duty rosters and stuff.
2: You know who really made Riker do that With was Jellico. Like, yeah. Like, Jellico tilly Riker <laughs> in TNG, the way that Saru is doing that to Tilly here. Man, is Saru more of a Jellico-type captain? He's not nearly the hard ass. Well, Jellico is a thousand times the captain that Saru is. Let's be clear.
1: Yeah. One of the things that is set up in this is a bit that I got the sense is going to be with us for more than this episode, which is the gag of what is Saru's catchphrase going to be when he tells somebody to do something?
2: Right. Yeah. What's what's his engage going to be? Everyone needs an engage. I think this is an instance of the show talking about itself because I've got to imagine a conversation exactly like this happened in Mm -hmm. the writer's room when they were trying to figure out what friend of the podcast Anson Mount was gonna say. Right. And when he took the ship to warp or or they did a black alert and-
1: (laughs) I kind of feel like Anson Mount just came in and was like, here's what I'm gonna say.
2: (laughs) (laughs) When we sit down with Anson Mount again, we'll have to ask about that. Like that was you, right?
1: Yeah, he's gonna be like, hell yeah.
2: Uh, they're they're unable to agree on what that's going to be. That's that's the hanging. Yeah, and thread.
1: none of the options are good. Like no. cru- crucially, they they all kind of suck. But um, they end this conversation by walking into the science lab where Stamets and Adira and team have f- have kind of worked out the the combination of the black box data and the uh, and the data that they got from Navarre and they actually have the like ground zero of the burn The nebula it's the verubin nebula now. This is a nebula. That's made with Swiss cheese Sauerkraut Russian dressing and a vegan pastrami
2: oh, I'm, I'm so <laughs> happy <laughs> <laughs> We always do this <laughs> It always works <laughs> it's I love delicious it. you wouldn't think that you
1: could make a nebula with vegan pastrami taste this good
2: it's an idea too good for star trek las vegas they'll never put it on the menu <laughs> even though they should oh man yeah
1: like that dumb hot dog bar give me a fucking break give Verubins. me Rubens.
2: yeah verubens all day how many Verubins <laughs> did you have on Saturday, Ben? You're looking oh, man. you're looking a little I flushed. Had one, I had one for breakfast <laughs> and one for lunch. You know, it's a Verubin makes a great breakfast when you put an egg on it, which I did. <laughs> ben, that's, uh, that's called a Verubin Madame. <laughs> significant moment here when when they, they start listening to the nebula and they hear the sound coming from it. And it's a yeah. song. It's the song that uh, that the Barzans hummed. It's the song that Grey plays on the cello. It's the earworm.
0: That's
2: weird. Of the galaxy that they wow. hear in this thing. And then Saru's like, no, turn the bass up. Turn the bass <laughs> up in my headphones.
1: <laughs> There's some really intense ECUs on Saru's eyes and ears in this scene. Yeah. That... Uh, all right, this is a Frakes episode, and I feel like one thing that Frakes has got to love about directing New Trek is how high quality the makeup is, because you can go in for this ECU and you don't see where the latex meets real skin. Yeah. It looks awesome.
2: It's a close up to an amount of latex that, uh, that I feel like Brit Hume would appreciate the most.
1: <laughs> now there's a two percenter, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> so so they've got their they've got their their ground zero but this this base also reveals that what is sending this signal out is in fact a federation vessel
2: and this is where the entire episode shifts, right? Because now this is the mission. Uh, no one cares about Book's mission to his homeworld. We've got a Federation ship in trouble. Uh, all other concerns are secondary. We've right. got to head right out on this rescue mission, Ben. And they don't.
1: Sorry, Adira has to do... Hours and hours worth of algorithm programming.
2: (laughs) This part sucked because like we cut from Stamets to Adira back and forth. And Stamets is like, yeah, I've got an employee here uh, who can really do the job. And also I'm enforcing a timeline on the labor without their involvement at all. And I cringed. (laughs) Adira is cringing for a reason that is totally different from the reason I'm cringing, which is a boss just fucking enforcing a project yeah. on you without your without your involvement yeah. at all. Oh, Adam is a great
1: producer. He'll have this video done by the end of the week. And no. you're like, whoa,
2: no, I will not.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't really understand what the algorithm needed to be. Because it seems like they have the location. Yeah. Did you get that? Nope. I didn't either. Did not um, get. I think this is particularly a problem just because we have had so many episodes so far this season where they're like, Earth? Okay, let's check it out. And then they're like there in the next scene. Right. That this being the big like myth arc of the season, like why why didn't we just jump directly to this nebula?
2: I don't understand what rises to the level of immediate need anymore.
1: Yeah. I mean, presumably there is something important about this algorithm but
2: i think this is on saru again yeah so when the meeting's over adir is like hey uh stamets gotta talk to you about something first i set my own (laughs) timelines you fucking asshole (laughs) yeah
1: like you work in the engineering section you know how it works you ask the person that's gonna do the work they tell you four times as much time as they think they need and then they preserve their reputation as a miracle worker.
2: You you call me a genius every other scene we have together. Why don't you let me establish the timeline? Yeah. Also, Stamets, keep calling me she, it's not going to work anymore. I'm going to slap you in the goddamn face if you keep calling me she. And here's, here's the thing, Ben. This is a significant moment for Adira because they're asking Stamets to address them uh, with their preferred pronouns. And... Uh, this is a big moment for Adira, and it's uh, it's received positively by Stamets. But right. uh, while it is a significant scene, I feel like the significance of this scene has more to do with today imprinting on the show and the writer's voice over a character's voice instead of what motivates Adira to make a decision to hide their choice of pronouns up until this scene. And then the thing that makes them reveal them, because I don't know anything about Adira's reasons for this. Yeah. And I would
1: like to. Adira wasn't even in the last episode and I would have loved some scenes of Adira exploring that, you know, the, the thing like we talked about last episode is that like our, our culture gives us bad heuristics for making assumptions about what gender somebody might think mm-hmm. of themselves as and and then you know like people grow up getting called which you know one pronoun or another and it it doesn't always match up so like taking that as given what is this character's journey with that and instead of getting that it almost feels like Adira doesn't have a journey because they didn't bother with giving us I agree with you so much, Ben. I, I would love to have gone on the journey with them.
2: We got an episode, I feel like I feel like it was the second episode we got with Adira, where I believe it was Stamets and maybe even Culber. No, it was Stamets and Tilly use she in Adira's presence, I want to say like half a dozen times. And I noticed it and it was the reason I called Adira she from then on because I thought that was what they preferred. But we never get the suggestion at all that that's the wrong term to use because we never get the benefit of a cut to Adira's face at any moment to register any kind of hurt. And and we're deprived of that journey, like you're saying, because we don't ever get that that subtext in the scenes up until now. But also,
1: like maybe Adira wasn't wasn't hurt in those moments because Adira hadn't solved that Rubik's Cube in their own head at that point. That would make sense. Yeah. All this is to say, like, Adira's a really interesting character and has clearly had an interesting journey that we haven't gotten the benefit of seeing on screen.
2: No we haven't and it's important to us now in a way that it shouldn't be on the show right this far in the future
1: we hope that a person who changes their pronouns for whatever reason whenever they choose to do it as many times as they choose to do it it's not a big deal
2: i am a a privileged cisgendered person and i just I wish so often that moments like this were treated as more normal than they are. I feel like almost making it the big deal cuts against the message, the ultimate message, which is that it should be normal.
1: And and that Star Trek presents a ideal better future where it just is
2: normal. Yeah. So this was a this was a scene with uh, some friction for us for a couple of reasons. One got to change the mission guys <laughs> <laughs> Two, maybe, maybe work on, on the Adira scene a little more.
1: On the other hand, I could see how having very few major television depictions of somebody coming out like this being like super meaningful and a relief in some ways, you know, I think that there's a tension between a, Totally good intention of of the representation aspect of this, like showing showing an experience that lots of viewers can relate to, but haven't seen in television before and the relief that that must bring to them. But also Star Trek being a utopian future in which the struggle of that would hopefully be greatly diminished.
2: There's been a tension in media since media was media about the representation of of race and gender of people and its relationship to how they're represented. Yeah. You know? Like it's is it enough that there's representation or is it the way that the people are being represented? <laughs> Elsewhere on the ship, uh, Burnham and Book take Another exposition walk of their own. They've changed into Kweijan local garb. Yeah. Some, some leaf peeping uniforms. Mm-hmm. Book mentioned some friction with his brother. He's like, look, Michael, I'm excited to take you home to meet a member of my family. But uh, I don't know. Things aren't exactly great between us. And also, like, the condition of the planet, not as good as I've left it. Yeah. Uh my brother Kahim you know how
1: what I do is I go around and I find transworms and uh bring them to safe places for them to live he kind of does the exact opposite of that You
2: remember transworms right Michael
1: I mean Michael was uh was part of the like transworm liberation front for an entire year before discovery
2: showed up Yeah she was the Yasser Arafat of the transworms <laughs> <laughs> Burnham is exactly how you want your special person to be ahead of a trip home to meet a family member. She's like, yeah, it's going to be fine. You don't have to yeah. pre-defend your weird family members. Like, <laughs> families are weird, and I get yeah. that. My mom's a co-op my lot. You think Ed, there's anything your brother's <laughs> going to throw at me that, that is going to be worse than that? Yeah. She pulled my pants down in a courtroom. I'm lucky she didn't cut my head off with that fucking sword that she brought. Yeah. So they're walking to the bridge and uh, they arrive in time for their trip to Kweijan. Uh It's a trip that Detmer's going to take them on with her newly installed OS at her station. She's made some tweaks there. Awosakun is uh, legit questioning her choices here, but not enough to like, not enough to make them rise to the level of telling anyone else about them. Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of feel like
1: Owosakun in trying to be supportive friend to Detmer who's you know, doesn't have 100% of her confidence at the moment. Maybe like I I sort of wonder if this uh if this like hey, you're you're great. You don't need you don't need backup systems on your right. control panel is like a little bit uh, enabling, enabling, yeah, yeah. But anyways, they jump and they jump from within the the uh, distortion field surrounding Federation HQ. I feel like last time they like pulled the car out of the garage before they did their jump.
2: I was trying to remember the timeline there. Like, was that a jump made before the meeting of the captains in the round where? it was revealed that they had the spore drive. Like, do they have to leave the cloak to do it, to keep it a secret, and now they don't have to?
1: So that people looking out the windows of the USS Nog didn't see what they were doing?
2: Yeah. Yeah, the Nog's only got one good window, though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So they arrive at uh, Quajon, and the, the Viridian is 30 minutes out. This is a heavy cruiser that they pick up on sensors, Uh, Coming in at high warp, it's a ship that is named after everybody's favorite planet to crash a saucer section into.
2: Don't you think it's weird that the ship is named that? That's the planet where Kirk died. It's the planet where the little D died. Isn't it also the name of the tracking beacon that Spock put on uh,
1: Kirk's shoulder in Undiscovered Country?
2: If you want to name your ship something that engenders some fear in a federation... I think you either name it Viridian or you name it Wolf 359 or something like that. Yeah, I like it. I like that a lot. The very name gives you the chills. This is where
1: the D went down. Right. I mean, that kind of, that kind of tracks, right? Like, I feel like the U.S. would commission a warship with the name of like a famous battle where yeah. the U.S. had like a big victory or whatever.
2: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Uh, first thing that happens when they arrive is we cut down to six bay where Mug walks in, and uh, she is in an unusual costume. She she basically says she's says she's dressed up like cum. Yeah. When she, when she walks in, and uh, this is a uh, an outfit that is meant to enhance some kind of. Scan what they're going to do is scan her body down to the atomic level to see if they can figure out what's going on with her. And it's uh Dr. Culbert and Dr. Pollard doing this project.
2: I couldn't stop thinking about how hot and sweaty her feet have to be. I always notice a bodysuit that has that has footies, yeah. She's they're kind of uh,
1: it's a very like form fitting footy pajama, yeah. Do you think it has like the the butt flap of a union suit so that you can go to bathroom without getting entirely undressed?
2: She has a medical emergency later and she's clearly like very sweaty. Like I I don't think they added sweat to her in those scenes. I think it's just the bodysuit working as advertised.
1: <laughs> that sweat that would be going into socks, but it has to come out of her forehead. Yeah. There's also a scene with Stamets and Adira they're, uh, they're having a little jam sesh, and Adira is, I guess, taking a break from this urgent coding project that Stamets has put them on. Are these
2: Adira's quarters? I don't know. Because they're nicer than Tilly and Michael Burnham's. I think I think your quarters are nicer if you've got a grand piano and a cello <laughs> inside and a window they've got all of those things it gave me kind of uh
1: fancy recording studio vibes so maybe this is something that uh, you can like sign up for like when i was in college there were you know for for kids in the music program there were there were music practice rooms in the basement of my dormitory that you could check out for you know an hour uh-huh. and a half at a
2: time so maybe that's what's going on you know what else is strange about this scene is that Star Trek speaks in a language that goes like, crew person does a thing. There's a chirp at the door. The the crew person says, come. That person enters. And then they have a conversation. Adira's playing their instrument. And Stamets enters and sits at the piano, but it's not shown in coverage. It's only shown in sound. We cut from Adira's face to Stamets at the piano. And... That's how that sequence works. It felt like something was missing there.
1: It almost felt like a dream sequence or something because yeah. it feels so out of, outside of Adira's urgent coding project, and also that like that visual language feels different. Like in the previous scene, Culber and Dr. Pollard are standing in six bay, and the door rings, and right. Culber says, "Come," and Mug walks in, and her. Seaman suit and he says whoa
2: not literally (laughs) I feel like there's a super cut out there of this moment every time it happens on TNG (laughs) and it is 17 hours long yeah I also thought it
1: was interesting that Stamets was sitting at a grand piano but when he says uh, why don't we play something G minor and then he picks up a saxophone and starts playing yakety sax (laughs) Did not see that coming
2: it's so hard for an actor to pull off the whole not a trained musician playing a musical instrument thing and i think frakes blocks this nicely it does not put a lot of pressure onto uh anthony rap like to make his fingers look like they're doing a thing they don't give they don't give him that long lingering uh panning of of like an actor with their eyes closed, like <laughs> really feeling what they're doing. That so often just doesn't work. Yeah, I think this is a this is an actors director doing an actors director thing, and and getting them a little bit off the hook here, which is good.
1: I always wondered about that as a person who I took piano and drum lessons when I was a kid for years. I took piano lessons.
2: Yeah, what class do they tell you to close your eyes during? I was never any good, so I don't
1: know if that's something that, like, comes with, like, really being one with your instrument to the point where you're really, like, like expressing yourself emotionally and not just be like, oh, fuck, what key do I hit next or whatever. But I knew kids that were really good at their instruments and saw them do that, and it always seemed, like, very performative to me. Like, oh, come on, Derek. Like, everybody knows you're good at piano. You don't also have to close your eyes and rock back and forth.
2: I always felt the same. And it, it was always something that felt to me that only adults could do that. Like, you couldn't possibly have that kind of reservoir of feeling <laughs> yeah. as, as as what I'm going to call a child, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I think it is largely out of envy that I felt that, but I f- I felt that in a big way.
2: I feel that way about anyone showing an emotion, to be honest. Or, or talent, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. fuck you! <laughs> so, when Stamets starts playing the entertainer, it is very confusing <laughs> to Adira, who doesn't quite know what to do with their cello.
1: I thought we were doing that uh, lullaby from the, the stranded ship that we
2: are not rushing to the aid of. <laughs> What are you doing? No, no kidding. Yeah. What do, you, what do you want to play at the funeral when we arrive too late <laughs> to save anyone? Uh, the main takeaway of this scene is that Adira has been having some Esri Dak style uh, body and mind confusion. They keep waking up to a new version of themselves, and uh, it's been kind of a stressful thing.
1: Yeah. Gray has gone silent, sort of a demergence.
2: And that might be related, right? The gray's disappearance and the appearance of all the other Daxes on a given day mm-hmm. uh, might totally. be a related thing. <laughs> Stamins is like, the music is going to fix this. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I'm not a doctor. Mm-hmm. So, in G, Tilly's briefing Saru. About the complications on Quajon, W slash R slash T, the protective shield that's there over over much of the area that Book and Michael Burnham are going to be in.
1: They've beamed down to the planet and they are attempting to make contact with his brother, but they're like their icon starts like blipping around on the screen, and it means that they're going to be hard to reach on radio and impossible to locate. Precisely, or beam out.
2: Tilly looks down at the mouse and sees that the mouse isn't on the iPad, and that's why the cursor is jumping all over the place.
1: (laughs) I've had this thing for like two weeks. I don't know what happened, but I keep getting like one little hair Mm -hmm. on the optical sensor on my mouse, and it's driving me crazy. I don't know where these hairs are coming from.
2: You think Tilly doesn't know all about a problem with hair getting in front of her (laughs) mouse sensor?
1: (laughs) That is a huge problem for her. Rin kind of storms in here, and I really love the way Tilly just stomps him.
2: Which one of you is the captain? (laughs) Uh
1: Uh-uh, try again. This time with the respect the rank deserves.
2: She's like, all right, Karen, back (laughs) it off. This scene is a little more fun when you know that the actors are married, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. I really liked the interactions between Rin and Tilly in this episode. And uh, knowing that they are IRL, an item, Made them much more fun.
2: Yeah, that's big fun. He seems very concerned about the threat of the Viridian. He's chilled to the bone about Osira.
1: He does not trust the Federation, but he trusts Osira a lot less because he yeah. like his his goal when he comes in is just like get me off your dirty ship. And when Saru explains that the Viridian is inbound, he's like, I would like to stay. Actually, right. We cut down to the surface of this planet, and it's a, uh, a beautiful, you know, like they they really got the fog machines going in this forest in a big way, and they filled the atmosphere with these little blue critters that are the sea locusts
2: it's a beautiful place before the sea locusts
1: yeah totally um, and this effect is really great like the i i I liked the critters i I kind of wished somebody had like physically interacted with one like let let them land on the, their nose like a butterfly
2: or accidentally crunched one under a boot <laughs> 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 but, but as it is, book can ask the locust to move out of the way, and he does that with his. He has like extremely
1: limited Aquaman powers. He you does. Say. Yeah, he <laughs> can ask politely. They're walking in the forest, and they get set upon by bandits who kill them and take their money. And uh, we cut to the theme song.
2: Hey guys, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it as long as it's funny to us (laughs) so uh back in six bay we got to check in with mug to see how the body scan is going and uh she has a bit of a medical emergency mid scan yeah she has one of these flashbacks that we've seen before we see the body we see the blood we see the dagger we get the yell of son once again and uh and they and she sort of busts out of the scan. This is a moment where Culber and Hollard uh, are like, "Should we shut off the scan?" And Culber's like, "Hell no! We gotta. We're almost done. We gotta finish the thing." They're arguing about this, but it but it's Giorgio that actually busts herself out of it. Does Giorgio have the same thing as that Barzan guy on the
1: seed ship? Oh, like being out of phase. He was in a transporter when they get hit with a solar flare or something. So. I maybe they came up with the wrong explanation
2: for why that was happening to him. Is that possible? When I shallow fry uh, some food Mm -hmm. for dinner, oftentimes, like later on that night, I'll my face will look like this. (laughs) (laughs) Really, got to go after it with a tea tree oil uh, pad Mm -hmm. cleanser on there. I
1: I really recommend getting a splatter screen, Adam.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I should do that. Culver produces a a splatter screen for Giorgio in this scene.
1: (laughs) Sets it on the rim of the
2: (laughs) Pollard's like, no, we don't need that. We're using future tech here.
1: How fucking cagey is Mug that she is like, she is like busting out of the, the bio bed after a medical emergency, but still with it enough to like pickpocket one of these sensors that they put on her.
2: How well does one clip show device work though? Don't you need two? Also, I think if your patient is phasing, I think you got to, I mean, look, I I don't like saying this any more than you're going to like hearing it, but I think you got to (laughs) put, I think you have to restrain her. You can't have her walking around the ship if she's phasing around. That's how accidents (laughs) happen. You
1: can't just let her be like, all right, well, anyways, ta-ta, bye-bye. That's dangerous. Yeah. Back on the planet's surface, we visit uh, Kaheem's house, which is pretty nice, pretty uh, pretty well-appointed pad this dude lives in.
2: He has what I'd describe as a suspicious amount of chandeliers.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Book kind of makes fun of him for uh, being as well-paid as he is, because literally like what Kayim does is capture transworms and give them to Osira, which is the way this planet compensates her for the use of the repellent that they use to keep these locusts at bay. If the if the locusts are uh, near the trees, it messes up their ability to feed their population, and they've they've sort of sold out the transworms to uh, to contract with Osira for this uh, technology. It's it's a little unclear like what the repellent is, but it uh it is clear that they haven't had access to it in a long time because the locusts are everywhere
2: what's clear is that none of the produce on the planet uh can be marked as uh as organic <laughs> cuz they're using yeah. this pesticide to get rid of the locusts yeah it's that's sad. not good <laughs> um
1: but uh this this is the scene where we realize that this is actually a trap uh Kayim was asked by Ozyra to uh, to do something to summon Book because she knows that Rin
2: and Book are traveling together. She wants Rin back. And... Uh, Osiris is like, you got to do something to summon Book. And Kayyem's like, well, uh, I could send him a message. Osiris <laughs> is like, yeah, do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the big plan. Uh, her ship shows
1: up. It's a big chonker. Yeah. And...
2: I like how it also has separate nacelles, like parts of it are unconnected from the rest. Yeah, I
1: noticed the uh, design of Osiris ship on a screen in the background of the bridge in an early scene of this episode. I think like right when they're about to leave Mm -hmm. space dock, they've got a diagram of her ship up on one of the screens in the background. And I was like, oh, that's a bad continuity mistake. Yeah. Should not have had that up there. No. But um, it's a cool ship. She, uh, she basically makes it clear war is on the line with like it's Federation v Emerald Jane if she doesn't get Rin. That's, uh, that's the stakes. And everybody played right into her hands. She got exactly what she wanted.
2: Everybody gets a keen and reacts here to Osira's FaceTime, her hollow FaceTime, I guess.
1: Owosakun and Detmer look at each other and Owosakun goes, That jaw, what the
2: fuck? Ben, I was just gonna say that. What is up with the chin continuity with Osaira? Osaira <laughs> did not look like this earlier. I feel like
1: uh, I feel like all of the Orions have kind of lantern y jaws though.
2: But on the uh on the Rust Belt planet, Osaira didn't have this jaw there. She didn't? No. Maybe it was just an angle thing. I think you need to choose a tasteful lens when you're doing the, uh, the FaceTime, Osira. Maybe go with an 85 and uh, yeah. set the camera back a couple more feet. He, he, the FaceTime
1: adds 15 pounds to your jaw.
2: <laughs> yeah. Osira should, uh, should get into boxing with that lantern.
1: She's got some major jaw in that. i'm I'm looking at the, I'm looking back
2: it, It's not real because in the earlier scene, she does not have that jaw. and then the later scene when Osira facetimes with with Kaim also yeah. also not the same jaw
1: it's got I think they're I think they must be putting a prosthetic on the actor's face, but maybe like shows up bigger in some scenes
2: than others or something. It's so noticeable.
1: yeah, it, it's wild in the facetime.
2: Yeah. This starts a lot of cross-cutting between Book and Michael Burnham's storyline and the situation on the disco. Like, an intense amount of back and forth happens, which I don't think that we're going to do for the purposes of this episode. No. But, uh we'll try our best to uh, summarize. We've talked for so long. <laughs> this episode is really long. Um, and we cut out most of our arguments. Right. I mean, we don't. Rob does, but...
1: The deal is, like, we need to know what what this is all about. Why is Osiris so freaked out about Rin specifically? Because he didn't come across as being the linchpin to her operation when they found him enslaved and antenna-less on that other planet.
2: No, he had his linchpins cut off. So,
1: Sabri calls him up to the bridge and is like, what gives, man? Like, why is she so crazy about getting you? And he won't spill the beans. He, he, it seems like he knows, but he won't say
2: why. Right. And then Saru uses Starfleet protocol to justify a kind of response to Osiris' right. attack on the planet. And this is underway at this point. Osira has, just before this, demanded that Kayim give her book and Michael Burnham. And when he kind of equivocates, she starts bombarding the planet from orbit.
1: Yeah, she's like, you have five of your Earth minutes. Never mind, you don't, actually. I'm just going to start shooting everybody.
2: This is one of the best effects I think the show has ever done. This yeah. this idea of of the planet surface almost being underwater beneath the, the shield system and the bombardment happening just above the treetop, that was really well done. It looked so
1: cool. And yeah, so they come up with this kind of diplomacy hack, specifically Tilly does. She says, why don't we send Book's ship out there to fuck Osiris' ship up and uh, we'll, we'll have Detmer pilot it, but then we'll be like, Detmer really fucked up and we're, gonna, and we're gonna punish her because she did that against orders and it wasn't a Federation ship that did it, so it'll get us off the hook. It won't start a war between the Federation and the Emerald Chain. Saru loves this idea and uh, and we get a, a pretty like a pretty intense space battle sequence with Detmer and Rin on board Book's ship
2: i could barely hear them talk to each other because beastie boys sabotage was playing so loud <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah I never spoke yet. When the red alert starts, uh, Mug sort of gets screwed by the bell because she's just about to hack into the ear pod that she stole from Dr. Culber when uh, when he, he comes up behind her and the red alert has started and she, she says she knows she's dying. And he says, it's not exactly what you think it is. Let's go talk next episode.
2: <laughs> Let's put a pin in this. Yeah. for a week yeah Screwed by the Bell also was the working title of This Ain't Saved by the Bell Triple X <laughs> just want to say
1: <laughs> Michael Burnham and Book leave to try and shore up one of the orbital defense systems because there's kind of like oh like we've got five minutes left on these shields before the photon torpedoes that are raining down on the planet start to break through and they're running through the forest when Kaim's people set upon them with those wood rifles which are revealed to shoot arrows i was shocked by this
2: i love future wood the look of these rifles is so cool
1: it's a pre-warp society so they would they wouldn't have phasers maybe yeah or disruptors or laser beams or whatever yeah. they shoot arrows <laughs> michael know. burnham shoots a guy in the chest with an arrow ouch yeah yeah <laughs> they uh they they beat these guys in a star trek fight i mean it's all like radio silence they can't they can't communicate with the ship and stuff but um detmer and and rin's gambit works out insofar as they disable the uh the Viridian. And and cause Osiris to have to warp out of there, but uh, not before kind of promising. Surely you know this means war,
2: right? And uh, back on the planet, it's kind of a sad moment because, like, it's it's sort of a mixed feeling because while Osiris leaving, that's good news. The bad news is famines back on the menu, boys. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, can you- is not doing what
1: book would do, but you understand why Kaim is doing it. He's preventing a planetary famine and like, it's a deal with the devil. And he knows that he's, he is a character that is not totally beyond redemption at this point, but because Osiris left, he feels like he has just doomed his, his own kid to certain death. And can I
2: ask you a question, which is, don't you need to see some inhabitants on this planet that aren't just Khayeen thugs? Like don't you need to see families yeah. and farmers and what have you to really get the stakes because I think we know five people on this planet and we're being told this is a planetary disaster in progress.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a pretty classic Star Trek thing of there don't really seem to be that many people here.
2: Yeah, but it's also just a classic
1: TV thing. You know, like I was watching Curb Your Enthusiasm the other night and it was an episode where Larry David like runs into an Uber driver he had earlier in the episode. It's like that doesn't happen in Los Angeles like, yeah. ever. <laughs> like Larry, like Larry David lives in an L.A. where you bump into people, you know, all the time. And it's just not a thing
2: uh, when this is something that David Letterman said one time. He said when you're a famous, the entire world feels like a small town. So maybe hmm. that's how it feels when you're Larry David. Or Kaeem. Or Caim. Yeah.
1: <laughs> a suggestion is made because Michael Burnham has seen what Caim and Book can do with their with their powers of an empath. <laughs> she says, What about Wonder Aquaman powers activate?
2: She's like, How much time do we have left on this episode? Oh shit, this is where I need to save the entire story. <laughs> <laughs> she saves the day here. By yeah. by connecting the deflector dish to to the brother's book.
1: Yeah, they somehow like build a resonance out of the mental powers that they have that causes all of the
2: It's not the deflector dish. Don't at me. It's it's like the it's like the yeah. areola of the saucer <laughs> Amplifies yeah. what they're doing, the chanting. Yeah,
1: the ship lactates all over the planet's surface and the sea locusts take a take a hint and head back to the ocean. Get our
2: god shot here though. Mm-hmm. Which is nice.
1: I loved I loved this sequence. It was really pretty and um Again, the Discovery has solved a 120 year old problem for another planet it has visited.
2: Pretty nice hit rate for them at this point.
1: Yeah, Earth is like one of the few that remains unsolved, right?
2: What you wanna do is build up a winning streak before going into this nebula and trying to save a Federation ship in distress. Maybe mm-hmm. that's why they put it off. hmm yeah. Need a few more reps. It's
1: like in any, like, RPG. You want to, like, grind a little bit and get your stats up before you go fight the boss battle. Yeah. We get a little scene in the mess hall. It's uh, how Detmer got her macho back. Um, And there's a little moment between Tilly and Rin about why Tilly really admires what Rin did. And he spills the beans on Osira. And I think this is really interesting. The Emerald Chain feels to me like a direct analogy to the Federation before the burn. They are running out of dilithium and doing increasingly desperate things to preserve what they've got. And Rin is one of the only other people that knows aside from Osira.
2: And now Tilly knows. That's why
1: she wanted him back. Also, why wouldn't Osaira just kill him if... Like, why did she cut his antenna off and... Put him on Slave Planet. We got to make a season of TV here, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think it will be very interesting if they find a way to tell the story of why she pulled that punch. Because it does seem to like defang her a little bit as a villain if she was merciful
2: to Rin in, in some way. Well, and also, it doesn't it remove Osiris' need to kill Rin if Rin tells everyone on the bridge the big secret instead of hiding it in that moment. Like yeah. if the secret's out, it doesn't make him a target anymore. Right. His motivation should be telling as many people as possible.
1: Yeah, but I mean like he also is has lived an entire life of being told not to trust the Federation and he needed to see them do this good deed to, That's the thing, to change it? his mind.
2: Yeah. It's nice to see Tilly go and sit by the lonely guy in the lunchroom though. That's mm-hmm. a very Tilly thing to do. Tilly did that with Michael Burnham in the first season, remember? Tilly rules. Yeah. Tilly's always
1: doing cool-ass shit like that. Yeah. Michael Burnham uh, shows Kaim's son, the gross lizard man that lives on the ship, and Kaim and Book have a, uh, a nice little moment together. I feel like it's kind of Book bragging that he really bought low on Michael Burnham. Yeah. <laughs> she 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 popped out of a space butthole and he was like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna you know hitch my wagon to you and see where it takes me hey great news it within one year i was saving my entire home planet
2: (laughs) yeah it worked out pretty well for him i like that he wasn't on board from jump i like that his place there had to be proven or he had to be sold on staying and that sales job is now complete a uh, brief scene where Stamets and Culber
1: stand over the sleeping teen genius, Adira, who has finished their algorithm.
2: Why do they work Adira so hard? Yeah, it
1: doesn't seem like Stamets worked that hard this episode.
2: No, and Stamets would be a fucking asshole if they tried to work him that hard in the <laughs> beginning either. Like, he would resist.
1: Yeah. And the button on the episode is a scene with Book and Michael Burnham. Adam, is Book gonna be made the XO? Wow, I wasn't even thinking about that. Cause he says like, I'm gonna stick around, I think. And she says like, you're gonna have to like, you know, take that up with the captain.
2: I I don't know. I love the idea. I mean, as much as I love a Sylvia Tilly, it seems like Book Book is an asset in this universe. And not a liability.
1: He knows his way around the future in a way that none of them do.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Book's not going to be uh, going over meeting appointments uh, in Saru's calendar, though. Yeah. Saru's going to be like, what cool catchphrase
1: can I use? And Book is going to be like, I don't fucking know, mate. Like, fucking miss me with that.
2: Book's first order of business is like, I, I got you these these gloves. <laughs> they just fit over your fingers. <laughs> They're finger full gloves, not fingerless gloves, see? I've
1: fallen into a trance looking at wormy things before, but this is ridiculous.
2: <laughs> hey, those things are worms that make me want to kill myself. <laughs> those worms don't have to do it for me.
1: Uh, that's our episode, Adam. Did you like this episode of Star Trek Discovery? <laughs>
2: I mean, story-wise, this is another episode with another planet, uh, with a problem to solve, and we're another step closer to what? Exactly. They don't even call back this ship at all. Like once, once the computation is done, shouldn't that have been a moment where, all right, dishes are done, man. Now, now let's go, let's go save this other ship. <laughs> I wanted to be thinking about that the entire episode and and I was prevented from doing so. So I hate I hate fighting with the episode about what about what it thinks is important and I feel like this is one of those episodes where I was in conflict with it throughout, you know? And I think that makes it hard for me to to like this ep uh, individually, I'm still like I'm still enjoying the season. I'm still very open to where it takes me, but I don't think this episode, this episode didn't feel like a great step forward in the story. I guess we met Osira.
1: Yeah, we met Osira.
2: In meeting her, we also took her off the board, too, because if she has this uh, Achilles heel with the dilithium, like, all you have to do is wait her out. Like, what's yeah. the threat there? Have we removed the threat of Osiris with this news?
1: I'm, I'm curious about that because I do feel like season three has more conflict with season one and two than within itself, almost, because season one and two taught us about a very different type of show. And I'm super happy with the direction they're taking it in season three but i feel like all of our instincts about what the import of a development might be are fucked up because of the way seasons one and two worked
2: because seasons one and two had that point on the horizon that was like unquestionably the place where we're headed yeah directly like in a straight line and there are no straight lines this season yeah
1: I have to say I kinda liked the episode. I, I, I liked the the tidiness of of it and I liked I really liked Rin's story. Like I, I really I felt like that, say, that scene at the end where he explains why he was so hesitant to help earlier on is a really hard thing to achieve because usually you have to have a character justify not wanting to help before they don't help. And instead they kind of did it backwards, but it worked for me. So I I thought that was a really impressive use of story. Um, But I agree like the, like the planet felt very like we're running around in, in the forest behind our house with the camera scale of visiting a planet. And you hope with the budget that Star Trek discovery has that we would get to see a city and some, bedraggled locals that are on the verge of famine and and like get to know like what we're fighting for in this episode
2: makes me wonder to what extent uh quarantine was a factor in second unit stuff like that you know yeah i wonder because because it was
1: shot before quarantine started but maybe they but maybe they still have to go gather second unit stuff or whatever man who knows But yeah, I'd say overall I like the episode, but, you know, not my favorite of the season by any means. Right. You want to see if we have any Priority One messages, my friend? Yeah, let's head over there.
0: Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel.
1: Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. The first of them is of a personal nature. It's from Eric and it's to venting into the empty void that is time. (laughs) Hey, get in line, Eric. Is this the same Eric as last week? Oh, yeah. I feel like last week there was also an Eric.
2: There was Eric of the now, Eric of the future, and now Eric venting into that empty void that is time.
1: Yeah. You want to collect all three. (laughs) Here's the the P1. Jesus, am I watching ST Discovery or 2001 A Space Odyssey? Currently watching Season 2, Episode 14 if there's anything worse than the AU it's time travel so far you guys and the P1s that you allow me to purchase are the only thing that is keeping me going wow Eric not a fan of the direction of season 2 of Star Trek Discovery
2: I personally think uh, that season 2 finale is is maybe the high point of the series for me I, I loved
1: it I love what an ambiguous note it goes out on um and i also i feel like almost all star trek time travel is back to the past Mm -hmm. and i think that that is the thing that like i i am a i'm famous for thinking that time travel is generally bad for star trek but uh but uh this is a an instance in which i totally disagree with with my fellow time travel hater eric
2: Hey, I'm glad Eric's sticking around, sticking around, sticking with the show, sticking with us yeah, and buying P1s. <laughs> I got it.
1: Eric, uh, there are cheaper ways to start a Star Trek podcast than paying for us to say <laughs> your opinions about Star Trek.
2: Yeah, there's a way to do that. <laughs> Actually, I mean, podcasting has become very expensive. If I didn't have the energy for podcasting, I might just make P1s too.
1: Yeah, That's a good point
2: um. Ben our second priority one message Is from Lorney CB it's to Michael B and the message Goes like this after freeloading off of your Maximum Fun subscription for over a year I thought it was time I paid my Share and made a donation hey. to our Best friends we've never actually met Ben and Adam <laughs> Thank you for introducing me to them And being the best lockdown Companion anyone could ask for Well done us for making it this far. All my love always, Lornie CB. Aww. Uh. I, uh, I might put us squarely in the crosshairs of our network mm. and uh, oh. and friend of Benjamin R. Harrison, Jesse Thorne. It wouldn't be the first time. I feel like when you're in the same household, you could make the case that sharing the Maximum fund subscription is a thing that you can do
1: it's yeah but but that's that Lorney cb got a p1 so it's like it, they've got the subscription and they've got the p1 now
2: you know i just don't want lorny cb to feel guilty about the arrangement here yeah
1: that's that's fair but i also appreciate the uh the support because we need all the support we can get
2: that's true that's true. We could just be an Eric buying P ones to, to <laughs> make our opinions about the show instead of a an expensive to produce podcast. Spout our cranky
1: Star Trek opinions off yeah. into the void. About that. Uh, well, thank you, Lorney and Michael and Eric and time travel, one and all for uh, supporting. The Greatest Discovery. If you'd like to get a Priority One message on the show, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers, Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below the kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, It works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman electric face shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at Manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed, and one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code TREK50 to get 50% off code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50
2: to
0: get 50% off.
1: Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
0: Just one more week till max fun drive.
1: (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year.
0: And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again?
1: Absolutely.
0: Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching
1: for the word secretly in your podcast app.
0: And at MaximumFun.org.
2: Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I'm going to
1: give it to the the son of kayim because uh, the son of kayim comes aboard the ship at the end and is told he can peel a piece of ted's skin off of linus and that seems exciting to him and i feel like when i was a boy that would have seemed really exciting to me
2: too kids say the darndest things ben <laughs> i think uh, i think that was the name of one of your favorite television shows <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, this kid seems like he's of the age of the type that would put Elmer's glue in his in in the palm of his hand and then peel it off when it dries. That's that's one yeah. of the great things to do when you're little. And oh, uh, yeah. and Linus has a face that is basically that. I'm I'm just into that shit. I I know it's
1: gross to other people, but like I was listening to an episode of Judge John Hodgman the other day. And they were talking about a product on a Schlemmer that you can buy. That's a thing that you can stick into your ear and it broadcasts HD video of the inside of your ear to your phone. So you can, uh, so you could scoop out earwax. Oh yeah. I saw that. And they, and they were making fun of that. And I was like, I have that. And it's one of my prized possessions. You have that? Yeah. I totally have that.
2: No way. Uh, do you think I could borrow that sometime? <laughs> it's
1: not really the kind of thing you share. The you can order them off Amazon for a surprisingly reasonable price. I think it's like less than 30 bucks.
2: I've I've had to join up with my wife's extended family secret Santa list <laughs> <laughs> and you know they're asking yeah. for gift ideas.
1: This is uh, this is white elephant written all over it.
2: This is the perfect white elephant gift. <laughs> <laughs> because when you drop that onto a list of people you barely know oh, oh yeah. boy the questions i can yeah. I can hear them now
1: the questions that will primarily be asked behind closed doors right. by people going
2: what the fuck i'll never hear the questions that's the best part
1: yeah yeah
2: it's also a gift for my wife those questions did you have a uh, an edward larkin in this episode adam here's the thing ben Detmer kind of jaked Book's ship here. And so that's why Detmer's gonna get my Edward Larkin. Mm. Yeah, she kind of did. Here's a note for Book. You might want to turn on sentry mode on your uh, on your ship if you were to, <laughs> if you leave it behind on the disco so yeah. someone doesn't jake it while you're gone. <laughs> that'd be a good idea.
1: If they went down to the shuttle bay and they're like Ah, shit. He left it on cloak. We have no way of getting in.
2: Is this one of those situations where a police officer is like on a high-speed chase and has to commandeer a civilian's vehicle to use it for official business? Is that what Detmer does to book ship? (laughs) (laughs) This seems way too easy.
1: Yeah. I always think of the car that you commandeer in a high-speed chase as being like a shitty early 80s Chrysler sedan. So...
2: You want to know what science fiction about this episode, Ben? That book isn't fucking pissed <laughs> about his ship being taken and damaged in the process.
1: Yeah, he's he's pretty chill about the eight points of hull damage from the uh,
2: from the photon torpedoes hitting it. Yeah, he's a better man than I. He's no Han Solo. Yeah well uh what do we have coming up on the next episode of star trek discovery ben we we really have to go digging to find the preview what'd you find
1: i did find the preview this week somebody tweeted it at me because they saw that there is a front zip in the next episode like a tng front zip appears briefly in this in this trailer and uh I mean, come on! What what more could you want in an episode of Star Trek: Discovery? I mean, I know Eric, the time traveling uh, <laughs> P1 writer, is going to be pissed, but
2: I like a front zip quite yeah. a bit. That's a that's a nice callback.
1: There was also a blue guy, like like coming up out of a bio bed, looking very distressed, and I wondered if that was Rin or someone else. I don't know. So
2: it was a it was a package of vignettes. You didn't yeah. get a scene, per se.
1: Didn't really get a scene. It was it was it was a proper edited huh. promo. Um, but it looks like the uh, the bespectacled in- interlocutor that is the foil for Mug is going to be back as well.
2: Oh, I'm I'm excited for uh, David Cronenberg's return.
1: Very good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah so uh looking forward to next week but we got to leave it with robs from here we've given him a a very fat episode to
2: edit sorry robs sorry robs we love you we love you this much i just (laughs) i just held out my hands at a width of 90 minutes yeah
1: (laughs) at the length of the of the timeline all
0: right take it away robs The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison and produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia, who happens to have a fairly successful YouTube cooking channel that you should all go check out. And if you'd like to listen to more Trek, why don't you dive into our back catalog? There's a lot of episodes to discover. We've covered every season of Star Trek Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, some comic books, some interviews... It's a whole lot of fun. And don't forget, you can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. Those social media accounts are run by the great Bill Tilly, and we really appreciate that. Thank you, Bill. If you'd like to help out the podcast even more, why don't you head to MaximumFun.org slash join and become a member. For as little as $5 a month, you'll gain access to all the Maximum Fun bonus content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery. Excuse
2: me, sir. I'm with the San Francisco Police Department. This is official police business. I would like to commandeer this vehicle.
0: No. What do you mean, no? I happen to know for a fact that you don't have the right to commandeer my vehicle. Please, can I commandeer this vehicle? MaximumFun.org Comedy and Culture Artist-Owned, Audience-Supported